This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Welcome to a special Monday edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. So much news going on in the world right now. I just kind of felt compelled to do a show today. We're going to have a conversation with Commissioner of Administration Jay Darden about the flooding that has happened here over the last few weeks. We will talk about the aftermath of that big storm, what people should be expecting from FEMA, what people should be expecting from state government. We'll talk about the impact this flooding has had on the Louisiana economy. And I know that the economy has not been a big point of discussion for people here because so many people have lost everything. They could care less about what's happening on the governmental level, but it does have an impact on what's going to happen going forward. And Commissioner Darden will talk about that with you and tell you what Louisiana is looking at and how this has upset the apple cart, if you will, about what we're going to be doing here in the state. He'll talk a little bit about the rebuilding efforts in communities around the state And it's a good conversation. You'll hear that in just a moment. I also have some thoughts on San Francisco 49er quarterback Colin Kaepernick. Most people who know me know that I'm a 49er fan, and he has been a big part of the news cycle this weekend. I really wish the media was as prone to talk about things like, oh, flooding that has impacted thousands of people in one of its 50 states. But, yeah, well, I guess that's asking too much. All of that being said, today is also a day to remember for the nation and specifically this part of the country. It is the 11th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. The irony of this day is it is a Monday and Katrina made landfall on a Monday. Now, like most things that happen in history You remember where you were when those things took place. I remember where I was on the day Katrina made landfall. In fact, I was doing what I'm doing right now, sitting in front of a microphone, working at WIBR in Baton Rouge, a station that doesn't exist anymore. And we were doing storm coverage. I was on the air Saturday evening. I was on the air Sunday through most of the evening and through the night. I think I left the station just after midnight. And on Monday, I was back on the air as this storm was savaging the Gulf Coast. The National Geographic Channel put together a montage that includes the days leading up to Hurricane Katrina and the impact of the storm and what it did on our community and really the nation. And here is sound from that montage, extremely captivating, and it starts with the Wednesday before the storm made landfall. Over the Bahamas forms Tropical Depression 12, a swirling band of wind and rain. It picks up moisture and heat and with them speed. As its winds reach 39 miles per hour, it becomes a tropical storm and is given a name, Katrina. Along the coast of Florida, a hurricane warning is announced the 1st of May. Now Thursday, 
By 4 o'clock, Katrina grows into a Category 1 hurricane. With 80-mile-an-hour winds, it sideswipes through Florida, just north of Miami. By midnight, over a million homes lose power. 11 lives are lost. Now, before we pick it up on that Friday before the storm makes landfall here, that is August 26th. And again, as you can see, very compelling sound and a montage from the National Geographic Channel. I was doing morning drive on WIBR on that day, and I remembered talking with someone from NOAA uh, about, I think it's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, something like that, and or agency. And his conversation was, hey, it looks like this storm is going to possibly hop Florida and move up along the eastern coast. I don't think you guys have anything to worry about in Baton Rouge. Gosh, I wish I still had the audio from that show. And so I left on, and many of you have heard me tell this story on the show before, I left that Friday thinking that Florida was in for it, but we probably wouldn't have anything to worry about. So that Saturday, regular Saturday, I'm actually out working (laughs) in my lawn And Ed Bugs, who's no longer with us, called me to ask me, was I watching the news? And I said, no, man, it's Saturday. I'm out working in my lawn. And he said, turn on the news. And I turned on the cable net. And here it is. I see the governor and I see the mayor of New Orleans all talking about how people should take this seriously. And they kept saying, you know, take this seriously. So I sat and I watched it. Within minutes, I'm getting calls from the station saying we're going to go wall to wall. And from that point on, everything changed. But on the Friday, the Friday that you're about to hear this piece talk about, we were in a different mental place. Katrina hooks north into the Gulf of Mexico and quickly picks up speed and size, becoming a Category 2 hurricane. Locals try to safeguard their property as the governors of Louisiana and Mississippi declare states of emergency. As its winds reach 115 miles an hour, Katrina turns into a Category 3 hurricane with New Orleans in its sights. City officials urge those who can to evacuate. This is Saturday. Traffic jams snarl the highways as up to 18,000 cars an hour try to make it out of harm's way. And again, that was the Saturday before the storm that you're hearing about now, the day that I just talked about where the government officials from Washington on down were saying, hey guys, take this seriously, get out of New Orleans, leave the coast of Louisiana and head north. Sunday. Katrina grows into a category four hurricane. A few hours later, it reaches category five, the highest possible rating. Winds exceed 175 miles an hour. All residents in New Orleans are ordered to evacuate. For those without the means to leave, the city sets up shelters. Many locals simply hunker down in their homes and prepare to weather the storm. Monday. As dawn breaks, Katrina's wind speeds slow back down to a Category 4 hurricane. It makes landfall at 6 a.m., 60 miles southeast of New Orleans. Its 140-mile-an-hour winds 
pummel the coasts of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. The eye of the storm moves just east of New Orleans, but the city is not spared. The damage in New Orleans after this storm was talked about a lot and is still talked about a lot. And there are parts of the city that still look the way it did right after the storm. It's a period in history that I think none of us want to ever repeat. But the same could be said about the rainstorm we had a few weeks ago. You just don't want to go through that. You just don't want to go through it. So on the 11th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, we're dealing with the aftermath of that in some ways still in New Orleans and in the greater New Orleans area. And here in the greater Baton Rouge area, we've got our own rain issue that we're dealing with. I mentioned some of the things that we spoke about uh, with Commissioner of Administration Jay Darden. You're going to hear that interview in just a moment. I also asked him what we should be thinking about in the event that another storm comes into the Gulf. We may be dodging a bullet here this week, but nothing is guaranteed because like you heard me say and you heard in the video, you just don't know what's going to happen with these storms until it's just before it happens. And that's, of course, not encouraging to anyone, but it is what it is. Back in just a moment with Commissioner of Administration, Jay Dard. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial. Brian, tell us about the time you shocked someone by telling them how at risk they really were. You know, the average person doesn't really know how much risk they're taking in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, the stock market crashed in 2003, the technology bubble. The market crashed uh, in 2008, the housing bubble. Right. The average person doesn't realize what they're really doing with their money. So uh, most people have 80% of the money in the stock market and don't realize they're taking too much risk. Mm -hmm. They need alternative options to help protect their future spendable income and give them some pension protection. So if you're out there wondering how much money you have in the market and how much risk you're taking, now's the time to reevaluate that, come in for a visit. It takes about 45 minutes. We'll sit down with you, get you on the right track, reduce your risk, focus on purpose, increase your income, and lower your fees. You can look up Brian and his team online at brianlowfinancial.com, brianlowfinancial.com. Get your financial house in the right direction with Brian Low Financial. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. All right, here he is, the Commissioner of Administration, Jay Darden, who's been very busy the last few weeks dealing with the aftermath of this flood and then, of course, the opportunity or what I don't know what word you would use of a hurricane to come into the Gulf and maybe come this way. Uh, first up, Jay, how are you this morning? Doing well, Clay. You doing all right? Pretty good, man. We didn't have um, any flood water and we're thankful, but so many friends and colleagues and people who lost everything. It's just a it's a tough thing to see, you know. And I think this is literally a situation where everybody in the affected areas either has a relative or knows somebody personally who was flooded. That's just the reality of how widespread this was. Yeah, it's and it's and it's getting worse. So first of all, I mean, everyone knows the history of what happened on that from that Thursday through 
that that Sunday evening. But here we are, Jay, on the 11th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, which happened on a Monday. And we are in the midst of another restoration and cleanup period. What about that period then influences the way we're going to go about it now? I think the the first point that needs to be made is, and I made this comment during the height of the the flooding. This is not your 2005 FEMA. Right. Uh, this organization is is much more streamlined, better designed, and more responsive. Uh, they were on the ground with us from the get go. Uh, Craig Fugate, the administrator of FEMA, was here for several days, made decisions on the spot. Uh, we, we've had a great relationship with FEMA this time, unlike what happened in the in the wake of Katrina. But um, that that's the primary lesson learned, I think. And of course, we unfortunately now are, are experts on on disaster recovery and and what to do in the in the wake of something like a hurricane or a flood like this. Um, this is a disaster that hit us from the bottom up instead of the top down. You don't see the blue tarps that were so prevalent after Katrina, but uh, we know that, that flooding is just as devastating uh, even without the wind, and that's what we've learned, obviously, in this in this episode. But uh, that's the, the starkest uh, example I can give you of the differences between 2005 and now. Most people are dealing with FEMA now and trying to figure what's going to happen. FEMA has said that the the ceiling amount is going to be around $30,000. Obviously, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get that or get anything. For people listening who are wondering what, how they should approach this, how long they should wait before hearing from FEMA, I mean, what information are you guys giving to the public? Well, if people haven't heard from FEMA and have registered already, they, they probably ought to follow up. The number to call is 1-800-621-FEMA, 621-3362. Uh, and, and just reconnaissance I've gotten from people is that FEMA has been pretty responsible. I was in Sherwood Forest actually this weekend. My, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law were flooded, and they're staying with us, and we were finishing up at, at their house, and, and a FEMA representative actually knocked on the door while we were there um, Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. So um, they're, they're on the ground communicating with people and telling them what to do. Um, most people are either having some communication with FEMA or should be having communication with them, I would say, within the next week or so if they've already registered. There, there are, um, at, the, at the outset, there were more than 600 FEMA people here. I don't know how many people are here now, but I guarantee it's, it's well over 1,000 that are actually on the, uh, on the ground here in Louisiana. You know, people are also wondering about the aftermath of this and their relationship with their insurance company and this very murky scenario that played out where people who didn't have flood insurance, who were nowhere near a flood flood area, got four, five, six feet of water in their homes. How does the aftermath of that impact how we go forward with flood maps and how homeowners should be reacting? Because I have I don't live in a flood area now, Jay, and I, I went and bought flood insurance. Well, well, first of all, let me go back because I didn't. I don't think I fully answered your question about uh, what people can expect from FEMA. Okay. I've, I've talked to several people who actually have gotten proposals from FEMA in the twenties, um, which was kind of surprising to me because the average payout after Katrina was only about seven or eight thousand dollars. But I think it all depends upon uh, the evaluation that FEMA makes. The maximum is thirty-three thousand that someone can get, but um, the the range may be from single digits all the way up to that maximum amount. So. Um, that's that's what people can expect from FEMA. Whether or not they have flood insurance, even if you if you don't have flood insurance and you're in a flood zone, you still may qualify for some degree of compensation from FEMA. 
um, in, in terms of the, the rebuild and the flood maps, uh, that's going to be the, the interesting question. And I know that's a question that's been raised particularly in Livingston about the need to elevate if you're in a flood flooded area. What I understand is that there's not going to be any redoing of these flood maps anytime real soon, and, and the big question is going to be whether there's going to be some requirement to elevate. I think it's going to be extremely difficult in areas like Livingston in neighborhoods where homes are already built to require people uh, to have to elevate their homes by some uh, particular amount. Um, and, and the the shelter-in-place program that started uh, basically is, is allowing people to move back into their homes um, pretty quickly with, with uh, just some initial remediation being done and then people staying in their homes in kind of Spartan conditions, but, but being able to live there while they go through the repairs. The fact that the flooding was the way that it was and, and that we'd never seen some of these areas take on more than a couple of inches of water and several, several areas had more than a half dozen feet of water in in those areas i mean when you have you guys had a chance to process the reality of that yet and if so what was your takeaway well, we've certainly been dealing with the reality of it i can't say we've necessarily processed everything other than than the observation that this is one of those events that's it's not a hundred year event it's perhaps a 500 or a thousand year event where yeah. you had such a concentration of rain uh, that didn't move. This was this front or uh, this weather event simply stalled uh, over the affected areas, and there was so much rain dumped in these areas that have already been getting an inordinate amount of rain this year. As you know, this is probably going to be our our wettest year on record. Uh, the, all that water that came at one time in these areas, it was the backwater flooding that got so many people. The, there was just no room for the water to move, and so it backed up and, and into areas that it had never been before. And, and that's the other factor here is that this was not an event that anyone could, could have anticipated. And it went well beyond the, the FEMA flood zone areas and uh, affected areas that, that obviously had been high and dry for generations. I mean, I, I never thought you'd see water in Sherwood Forest, for example, in Baton Rouge where it was perhaps at its worst, right off of uh, Old Hammond Highway. You know, one of the things that we've heard thrown around a lot is the Comet diversion and and what should have happened in the 80s and how if that had happened then it might have had a positive impact on what we saw here a couple of weeks ago. What's your response to that argument? Well, it has been decades in the making, and this was a project that was approved. I was I was in my early days in the Senate when this was approved and mm-hmm. was involved in, in getting some of the, the state interest going. I remember when Richard Baker was the was a congressman from the 6th District right. who got this pro- project going. So uh, it's it's obviously stalled, and the funded it, but taxpayers have been paying property tax to, to contribute to what's already been done. And there's been a significant amount of work done, but obviously the, the – uh, canal has not been completed from the Comet to the Mississippi, which is the ultimate plan. Uh, and hopefully this will spur some interest in it. I mean, Louisiana is all over the uh, is going to be all over the the interest of Congress when when they go back in for their next session. Obviously, I mean we have our coastal restoration plan that needs funding. We have the now the Comey Diversion Canal takes on a new level of importance, and we're obviously going to be seeking 9010 reimbursement from from FEMA. Um, Louisiana has a long wish list, but Louisiana is a is obviously a key player in so many areas for the rest of the country that we don't always uh, think of. I mean, the country is dependent upon 
Louisiana for the oil and gas that it uses, for the seafood that it enjoys, for the greatest port system in America that is able to move product that's generated from all across the other 49 states into, or certainly those on the mainland, if you will, uh, to points all around the world. And all that's dependent upon Louisiana being able to survive economically. So while we have a lot of of asks uh, pending in Washington, there's a well-justified need. I know we have about a little less than 10 minutes, so I want to get through to a couple of other things. One, last week, early last week, there was some chatter that votes by members of the Louisiana delegation in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy could have an impact on the way Louisiana is made whole after this rain event. And we've since seen people back away from that and say, well, that that isn't the truth. What have you heard? I haven't really heard anything, just what, what everybody observes. Uh, you know, Washington's a strange place to figure out, and there's a lot of uh, patting me on the back, and I'll pat you on the back, That's and right. a lot of payback for people who who uh, don't support certain things, and it's about as partisan as it gets, but I hope this goes well beyond partisanship and well beyond payback, and I, and I think it will. I don't think there will be any attempt punitively uh, by those who objected to the Louisiana delegation members that did not vote for Sandy Relief to pay Louisiana back. I, I don't see that happening. And, and frankly, I think there's going to be so much scrutiny on the vote uh, that people who attempt to do that will be properly called out. The other thing is, before we get to the prep for the hurricane, you guys were in the midst of trying to deal with this budget chasm that we found ourselves in and figuring a way to, to dig ourselves out of it. I can't imagine that having wide areas of Louisiana's central area, you know, in in Livingston and parts of EBR and Ascension, all these businesses that have taken damage, that has to in some way, you know, have an an impact on your plan going forward as you try to rebuild this state's economy. It has a profound impact. There's no question about that. Uh, the The economy of Livingston Parish has been decimated. When you yep. have sixty percent of the businesses and eighty plus percent of the homes underwater, uh, the, the Secretary of Revenue has had to suspend uh, collection on taxes that otherwise were due August fifteenth, August twentieth. Uh, we know we're going to see a slowdown in in revenue coming in in general from the affected areas. But by the same token, there will be a lot of economic activity as people start moving to rebuild. Um, The the FEMA reimbursement is just that. It's a reimbursement. You've got to spend the money first. So our already stretched cash flow issues in Louisiana have been made worse by this event. Um, The governor made it clear during the course of the event, and and I certainly was was involved in that, that we weren't going to spare any expenses during the rescue and a phase of this. We we did what we had to do to make sure we, we protected life and property as best we could, and we'll get reimbursed by FEMA in due course, and hopefully it'll be at the 90-10 match. And now the other story that's actually gotten a little more favorable for Louisiana in the last couple of days, and that is this tropical system that's out and headed into the Gulf, and the track has moved it a little bit more east impacting Florida and may not you know, have any impact on Louisiana at all. What are the preparations that you guys are undertaking now if something changes? You know, during the height of, of the flooding, I, and I don't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday of, of last week or whenever it was, uh, we actually had a three-hour tabletop exercise at, at, um, at the Unified Command Center at GOSEP to prepare for the what if uh, we got hit by a hurricane within the next 10 days. 
So at the time that we were actually responding and dealing with the, the terrible flooding, we were also trying to think ahead on the what if, God forbid, we have a, a hurricane or a tropical storm um, within this time period. And, and obviously this is what we've, we've been concerned about the past several days, watching this now tropical depression. But uh, the news today is good, and I hope it stays good, that it's going to be moving to the northeast and, and won't be coming to Louisiana anytime soon. We, we don't need an event at all this hurricane season, but obviously with the debris that's on the street and the trauma that's been visited upon so many Louisianians, uh, we certainly don't need to have to worry about uh, another event right on the heels of this one. Are you worried about any big class action lawsuits against, you know, insurance here in Louisiana? We see that the mayor of Watson is suing, uh, you know, over what he feels it was a man-made contribution to this. The litigation part of this, I know it's not anywhere near your top priority, but as time goes on and people start to embrace a little bit of normalcy, you know this is going to happen. What's your response to that? Because the chatter is out there. I'm sure you've heard it. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I certainly anticipate you're going to see uh, some sorts of litigation. There are plenty enough lawyers that, that are going to want to uh, try and um, find causes of action that can be brought. I, I haven't looked at any of the specifics of that. We'll just have to deal with that when the time comes. I, I certainly don't believe that the what the, the state of Louisiana has done by way of safety and by way of uh, overall uh, preparation and, and uh, drainage efforts in, in Louisiana are going to be the basis for any successful lawsuit against the state. Well, listen, we appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. I know that you have a, you have a busy morning going on here, and I, I look forward to talking with you more about it. I'm glad you and your family are safe, man, and y'all keep up the great work. You too. Thanks, Clay. Talk to you soon. All right, Commissioner of Administration Jay Darden. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control. People are trying to recover their lives and rebuild their homes on the inside, get rid of mold. So I want to talk about a product called Stair. Sterifab. Oh, that's a good one. Sterifab is using isopropyl alcohol as the active ingredient. Okay. And that, in a part, will set it aside from anything else because it will kill the mold and the mildew and the seed. And that is the most important thing because you don't want this stuff coming back. So if you've used Clorox or mold kill or mold gel or one of those other mold stuff, it's coming back in about six to eight months. How difficult is this to apply? It's ready to use. You simply pour it in a sprayer and you really want to make sure you treat not only the flood impacted areas, but all the remaining sheetrock that's there, too, to kill airborne spores. So if I'm in the New Orleans area and I want to get my hands on the product, how can I find Pest Stop? Well, in Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Pepper Mill. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's next to Sherwin-Williams or Villarie's Florist. And on the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. And, of course, in the Baton Rouge area at 806 O'Neill Lane, Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. So much going on here in Louisiana now. Man. Well, quickly here, as many of you know, I am indeed a fan of the San Francisco 49ers, a lifelong fan. 
to the early days of Bill Walsh, through Steve Young being quarterback, and of course through this last very dark period that has seemed to have lasted, gosh, almost 20 years. (laughs) And there was one bright spot in the midst of all of this when Jim Harbaugh was the coach of the team, but we all know now he's at Michigan. Well, over the weekend, the Niners dominated the news cycle again, and it's because Colin Kaepernick, one of the quarterbacks on the team, he's not the starter, decided that he was going to sit and not stand for the playing of the national anthem. He's actually done this a few other times, but it just didn't get as much attention. And when he was asked about it by the media, He said that he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to stand to honor a flag that represents a country that oppresses black people and minorities. He said African-Americans and other minorities. He has a right to protest. I think you stand for the flag. I've said this before. The idea of America is bigger than any one individual or any one group. There have been dark days in this country where people of color were treated horribly. And some of the remnants of that still exist in the minds of many people. There are indeed still racists out there. Come on. You can't you can't ignore that. But by and large, so much in this country is better and you can't ignore that. The most obvious being there's a black man in the White House. There's a black man in the White House. The thing I took the most, or the thing I disagreed with him the most on was the use of the word oppression. Now, he talked about the incident with police officers. We've talked about it here on the show. And Colin has a right to his opinion. And I have a right to disagree with him. Many people on social media, many people in the media have taken him to task over this. Listen, it's frustrating for me because I think the question is, what do you do now? And how does this accomplish your goal? Really? And you can do two things at one time. You can talk about whatever racial divisions that exist in this country, but you should also talk about some of the murders that happen in cities around America, you know, the black-on-black crime. Now, I don't say you can't, let's not talk about this unless we talk about this. I say you can do both. But it's, I have American flags displayed in my office building. I love this country. And to me, that flag does not represent any one individual. It represents the idea of what freedom is. And there are people who are in the military, male, female, black, white, Christian, Jew, Muslim, atheist, who are all there for the same reason, to defend the country they love. Now, Colin has said that he in no way is intending to offend the military, that this is not about the military, 
Fact is, Colin Kaepernick is 26 years old. And I don't truly believe he has a full grasp of the gravity of that action because he is a public figure with a national platform. And I would ask him if I had a chance to sit with him, okay then, what do you think the solution ought to be? Because there is no magic wand that will make hateful people lovable. They have to choose that on their own. But, you know, we spend so much time talking about the negative and the haters and the racists and the bigots, and we don't spend enough time talking about the people who just want to be okay. An example of that is what we saw in the aftermath of the flood here. All of the people, white, black, old, young, who hopped on boats and went out to help people in neighborhoods all over this part of the world who had floodwaters. They didn't care what color you were. They were helping everybody. Or the people who are out there cooking meals every day to feed people who are trying to rebuild their lives. We spend no time talking about that. We spent more time talking about an action by a mediocre quarterback in the NFL than we did talking about the days and days and days and freaking days of people helping each other in this state. Where's the attention to that? But of course you see what the media does, right? And so, yes, I think Colin Kaepernick is wrong. I do not think Colin Kaepernick is heroic. And I do not think Colin Kaepernick's actions are relatable to Muhammad Ali because so much was different in America at that time. And I just wish that all of the media outlets out there who would like to see equality and better relations between blacks and whites, men and women, Christians and non-Christians or whatever, whatever the dividing line is, I would love to see them attempt dialogue and bridge building without bomb throwing at one side or the other. Because truth be told, the reason we know Colin Kaepernick did this is because of the media. This is not the first game he's done this in. He sat before and he didn't make a big deal about it and he gets to the podium and the reason this was significant is he hasn't played in the preseason because of injury. So he played his first game. So this was really the first time that he was going to be speaking after a game. And at the game, someone asks him a question about why he's not standing for the anthem. And that's when he says what he said. In fact, there's only one picture of him sitting on the bench. It's like an aerial shot. And you've got to zoom in to even catch it because most of the coverage most all of the other coverage missed it but the media sees one more thing to kind of pick at us about and what does it do it creates a national dialogue you know what i'd like you know i'm I'm gonna stop right there it's monday i gotta pace myself i just hope that we would lead the efforts the people for these discussions I've already said it. I disagree with Colin Kaepernick on this. 
But I just wonder how big of an issue this would be if the media had not made this the biggest issue of the weekend. Not the fact that there's possibly a hurricane coming into the Gulf that could impact an area that has already seen more and had more than it can handle in the way of water. But you are all witness to the way the national media works. You all saw it. You saw how little they wanted to talk about what was happening here. You saw it. And no matter what they say, you know the truth. But this Ryan Lochte, Lockby, or whatever the hell the swimmer's name is, who was lying in Rio, all that did was dominate the news. Do you think I give two shakes of a rat's behind about what some swimmer in Rio did to get himself in trouble? But it's what they do. See, it worked a little on me. Got my blood pressure up. Anyway, this is not the last show of the week. I wanted to do something special or do something um, to remember. It's probably a better way of saying it. The 11th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. And it's just so ironic we're dealing with the aftermath of this rainstorm here in Baton Rouge and the greater Baton Rouge area. So hopefully for those of you out there who are rebuilding your homes, your lives, keep the faith, hang in there. To all of those who are lending their time, their money, their gifts of talent to helping people in this community, you deserve the attention. You deserve to be talked about. You deserve to be put on a platform because you are the real heroes. And that's the bottom line. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for The Clay Young Show. Tell your friends about us. And when you go on iTunes to download the show, leave a nice word or two. We always like to see that there. Of course, you can download that Talk 107.3 mobile app. Get it there. Or look us up online at podcast225.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.